this morning. Uh, but this morning, as Charlie says, um, we are continuing our series looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and uh, that's from Galatians chapter 5, where Paul says, um, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, and these are qualities uh, which we ought to be able to observe in the life of every Christian, in the life of every baptised person, uh, a sign of the work of the Holy Spirit in us to make us more like Jesus. Uh, and we're looking this morning at the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, that is peace. We're gonna look, uh, if you keep fingering Matthew 6, we're going to be there uh, in a bit. Um, but before we get there, I just want to kind of unpack um, the biblical concept of peace. We think about peace all the time. We say, I just want some peace. Uh, we think about peace around the world and all sorts. But what does the Bible have to say um, about peace? So it's a word that's used frequently uh, throughout the scriptures. The Hebrew word for peace uh, is probably familiar to you, shalom. It's a greeting used by Jewish people uh, to this day. They greet each other by saying, peace, shalom. Uh, but it's more than a greeting, it's more than well-wishing. Um, shalom, peace, is one of God's attributes. Uh, shalom is, uh, is an attribute of creation. Shalom is an attribute of human relationships to, to God and to each other. And shalom is part of what Jesus Christ came to achieve. So peace is of God. The Bible is clear that there, before there was anything, there was God. God has always been, and he has always had, peace. Uh, the book of Judges, God is referred to as Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. Notice it isn't the Lord has become peace, or uh, the Lord is working for peace, or the Lord is peaceful. There is something about the unchanging God, that he is the same yesterday, today and forever, that means he was peace, he is peace, and he will forevermore be peace. Peace is of God, peace is of creation. God, who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, dwelling in eternity past, dwelling in his own peace, called creation into being. Right at the beginning of the Bible, it says uh, in the book of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. I love that imagery. In the beginning, through Jesus, the eternal word, the Father willed all things into existence through the action of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of peace who's hovering over creation, over the deep. The entire cosmos came to be. This formless void. And each day, God adds more order to it in the creation narrative. Let there be light, night and day, the sky, the land, uh, the seas, the vegetation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, the birds, the fish, the livestock. And as creation becomes more and more ordered, 
God kept looking and seeing, and what he saw was, it was good. And on the penultimate day of creation, God made you and I. Humankind made, humankind made in his image, male and female. And after all the matter of creation was made, God looked at everything, all the order that he'd brought from the formless. And it says that he saw, and it was very good. And on the final day of creation, the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. You don't need me to spell out the link between peace in having done a week's work where everything came together well, orderly, and in harmony, and then to rest. Peace is of God, peace is of creation, peace is of humankind. Peace is an attribute of human relationships with others and with God. Humanity, the image bearer, the one who is created to be many reflections of God. When God created humans on that sixth day, he gave us a command. He says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Uh, and later on in the book of Genesis, we get a little bit more detail. We find out that the man and the woman, uh, they live in a garden uh, called the Garden, garden of Eden or the Garden in Eden. Um, and humanity's role was to obey God's word, that command, to reproduce and to maintain order in the garden. Gardens do not occur naturally. Peace is worked for. Humanity's role is to work the garden to maintain peace, to maintain the order of the garden, to stop it becoming chaotic. And part of that is, of course, is that first command, to make more humans, to share in that work. And families, of course, come in all different sorts of shapes and sizes, and we love all families here at St Michael's. I myself grew up in a single parent family. But it's God's good design that man and woman are joined together in marriage, uh, which we know both from the biblical witness uh, and from science, that marriage understood uh, in this way is good for society and it's good uh, especially for children because it brings order. Peace is of God, it's of creation, it's of humanity, and peace is of what Jesus Christ came to do. So you might be looking at me at this point going, this is all very lovely, um, but hold on, um, that was then. The world isn't ordered. Um, Charlie told me in the week that if you look up the word peacemaker, uh, you get a picture of the cult single action uh, handgun. We have sickness, we have dying, we have war, we have famine, we have all sorts going on, which sounds like the opposite of what is described in the early chapters of Genesis, of the biblical vision of a peaceful creation. And uh, it's wonderful that the children this morning are exploring what Jesus came to do in overcoming sin. Because when humanity sinned for the first time, everything became hostile towards us in a way that it wasn't before. 
Work became hard. Death and sickness entered. The relationships between married couples became strained. And worst of all, we were separated from God. The Bible is the story of God's pursuit to bring back that shalom, that peace, with humanity. To cut a very long story short, God promises that he will send someone and that when that person comes, he, then people will say, from Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 2,000 years ago, on the first Christmas, that person arrived, and angels filled the sky. Uh, announcing that Jesus the Messiah had been born. And they said, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Jesus is peace. He came to make peace. He did it in small ways and big ways. He formed community, people walking together. He fed people, brought them round uh, the table together. He healed sickness. He freed people from evil spirits. And chiefly, he made peace for humankind with God by dying as our representative on the cross, taking the penalty for our sin, the sin that separates us from God. We've just done a series in Romans, and that great verse in Romans chapter 5 says that, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is what Jesus is about, is what he came to achieve, peace with God, rightly understood. So when we come to Jesus through faith and have the peace with God, we are called to be a people of peace. Um, Matthew 5 said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Romans 12, it is if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. James chapter 3, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. If we are called, therefore, each of us, every single one of us, to have a ministry of peace, it can't just be external. As we've seen in the scriptures, the peace that we're talking about is multidimensional. And so if you want to live peacefully and work to promote peace, as we are called to do, we need peace not just in our work, in our witness, but in the whole of our lives. And that's why Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is peace. So this morning I want us to pick up in Matthew 6. Jesus being incredibly um, practical. So if you get Matthew 6 in front of me, I'll just give you a little bit of context uh, in front of you. Just give you a bit of context. Uh, we're looking at this bit of teaching from Jesus. It comes with a wider bit of teaching we call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is very much Jesus' uh, vision for what the redeemed humanity uh, would look like. Uh, what a good society would look like when it, it is, when it is at peace with God and with uh, neighbour. And he says, if you look at verse 25, read with me. 
Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What will you wear? Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Do not worry about anything. Worry, uh, anxiety, it's not peaceful, but you don't need me to tell you that. If you're going through anxiety, you will know. But Jesus is saying, do not worry. Do not worry about anything. Your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, your body, your clothes, nothing. Do not worry. Now you will know that if someone says to you, don't worry, and you're already worried, uh, that's not especially helpful. Uh, but that's, Jesus isn't doing that, I promise. Uh, what he says next uh, is, um, you, what Jesus says next, you will either find offensive, or, or it will warm you in such a way that you are emboldened to pursue it. And I really hope I do justice to the power of what Jesus says uh, next. If you look at verse 26 and verse 27, it says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Look at the birds, he says. Can't you see how these tiny creatures are provided for? You know that you are worth even more, you're even more important than birds to God. Do you seriously think he doesn't have a plan for you if he's providing for the birds? You won't have a single hour to your life by wearing its feet on. Similarly, he says, verse 28, look at the flowers. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, would he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? He's saying, when are you going to realise that you can take it as certain that you are more important to God than the birds, the flowers, and anything else that God is providing for in creation. It's harsh, and that's why you might find it offensive, but it is said in love. One biblical commentator, Hans Dieter Betz, describes these two analogies as stunningly naive, but undeniable. Stunningly naive, but undeniable. You might then think, great, as a Christian, I won't be poor, I won't be sick, I'll have nothing to worry about. No. And yes. Let's deal with no first. Jesus and all the apostles, except one, were killed for living what Jesus had taught. The one who didn't, according to tradition, was uh, boiled alive, uh, but miraculously survived. Christians are the most persecuted group of people in the world today. One in seven Christians uh, in the world are persecuted for their faith. Are they not much more valuable to God than the birds and the flowers? Yes. Yes, they are. In fact, often the persecuted 
are amongst the least worrisome. They don't enjoy it. They don't they they fear it, it hurts, it destroys. And yet often there is a piece about them which, as the scripture says, surpasses understanding. But how? How? How can anyone have that? Look at verse 33. Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When you worry, you look inward. How will I eat? How will I have money? How will I be healthy? But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, which means attempt to live out everything that Jesus taught you, to love God and to love your neighbour. And this is what persecuted Christians have learned to do. Um, I read this the other day, the charity Open Doors, which supports um, Christians, persecuted Christians. They, They share a story of a young man called Ming from China. Ming's not his real name, it just tells you a lot about the plight of persecuted Christians. They say, The greatest risk Ming has taken is delivering secret Bibles in parts of China. It's relatively easy to get a physical Bible, but where Ming is from, it's much harder, particularly if the Bible is translated into the language of his ethnic group. He says, I could be arrested, interrogated, and even imprisoned. He says, but I knew that God called me to share the gospel by distributing Bibles. And one day his fears came true. Ming and his friends were arrested. Miraculously he was set free, but his friends weren't. To make matters worse, they could no longer use the company that Ming and his fellow believers had worked so hard to set up as a cover for their smuggling. The arrest put him firmly on the radar of the authorities and they remained determined to restrict his Christian activities. I knew it would be harder to dodge the police, and I'd have to live even more cautiously. I'm officially not allowed to attend church or even own a Bible anymore. He says, at first, every one or two months, the police search my house. They come less often now, but they still regularly search my home. Ming keeps sharing God's word. We listen and follow, says Ming. He will guide our paths. Psalm 121 says, He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. In a world where every move Ming makes could be tracked by the authorities, experiencing his loving, protective watchfulness brings comfort and strength. I don't think I can really give you much more of a practical example of following the teaching of Matthew 6 in this time, on this side of eternity, than in the stories of those who've gone before us, who've been persecuted for their faith, the masters of the church, and in the example of the sacrifice of Jesus himself. Ming very clearly set his heart on Jesus, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's the no of this. It's not saying that everything's fine. Uh, But when you pursue all of that, you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then 
the peace comes with it because you're not focusing inwardly all the time on what this, that, and the other, because there's something far greater. I said, you might even think, great, then as a Christian, I won't be poor, I won't be sick. And I said, no, and yes, well, what about yes? There is a day coming, for those of us who come to Jesus through faith, when there will be genuinely nothing to worry about, where there will no longer be chaos and only peace. St Paul, a persecuted Christian himself, described it saying, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. In pursuing the kingdom, we know we are heading to God's fully redeemed and restored creation, a new heaven and a new earth where there will be only peace. Where we don't lock the doors at night. Where we won't worry about what we wear, what we will eat. God is provided for the birds and the flowers and he will not forget to provide for you. It says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God who gave up the blood of Jesus, his own darling son, is not going to forget to provide for you. Just as he made a garden of peace one day, there'll be a city of peace to come. And I'm going to read from, I started by reading from the, the beginning of the Bible, and I'm going to read from towards the end to describe the peace that we're heading to. This is the kingdom that we are pursuing. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, that is the yes of that question. No, being a Christian does not mean everything's fine. But it does mean that God won't forget to provide for you. There is coming a day when we will be in his presence and enjoy being in front of him. We'll see his face. And there'll be no more weeping, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away because everything is being made new and there will be peace. Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Amen.